to Doncic. Doncic pulls up, three-pointer. Bang! Bang! I'm not worried about Dale Moore. He's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Welcome back, everyone, to the fourth episode of Hoops Logic. If you're a new listener, I'm Will, and this podcast touches on various analytical topics regarding modern-day basketball from the perspective of a fan. This episode, I'm going to be analyzing different types of big men in today's NBA and look at how much they've changed as well. To start off this episode, we're just going to look at some shooting tendencies in big men and how they've kind of changed over the years beyond the arc. So um, if we start, I decided just to start in 1980 and go by 10-year intervals just to make it simpler simpler for you guys, but um, so in 1980, there was a total of 440 total threes from all big men, power forwards, and centers. So that's about 30 less than Kevin Love shot this year. So that puts it in perspective on how little it was. Then in 1990, 10 years later, there was uh, 1,878 threes from all big men, which is four times as many as 10 years before. So it's an increase, but it's still a very low amount. It's about equal to James Harden and Steph Curry combined in 2019. So once again, that puts it in perspective. And then um, in 2000, the average big man shot about 0.83 per game. And that's a that's a slightly less than uh, how many Draymond Green shoots per game this year. And then in 2010, the average center shot 0.3 threes per game and the average power forward shot 1.1 threes per game and then if we jump ahead to today it's all the way up to 1.3 per game for centers and 2.5 for power forwards so that's a total of 17,416 total threes from big men this year and that is 36 times more than in 1980 so it's a huge increase to add another perspective, we're going to kind of look at some examples of big men that have had to develop three-pointers throughout their career. So the first one is Brooke Lopez. He shot a total of 31 threes in his first eight seasons. And then in the 2017 season, he, he shot 387, and he made 34.6 of those, so, or percent of those, so that's about average. But now today, 40% of his shot attempts are threes, so that's a pretty high clip. And then another example is Al Horford. He's similar. He shot an average of eight threes per year in his first eight seasons, so uh, barely any. A lot of those were probably heaves. But in 2016, he shot 256, and he was making about 34.4% of those, so once again, about average. And now today, this past season, 46% of his shot attempts were threes. So once again, those two are examples of, are just a couple examples of the many big men that have developed threes in their career. And then there was next, if we look at kind of the first prime examples of stretch fives, I decided to do stretch fives because stretch fours, they were kind of developed early. So stretch fives, I think it'll be easier for you guys to understand. But so if we limit it to just centers, the first ones were probably Jack Sigma, who led the centers in 1989 with 216 three-point attempts. And the previous record the year before was 39 attempts by Bill Lambier. So it was a huge increase. And then another guy that shot a lot was 
Sam Perkins, and he had around 300 attempts per year from 1993 to 1997. And he led centers in 1993 with 270 attempts, with the second highest that year only being 53. So he by far shot the most threes out of centers that year. And he does hold uh, the fifth highest amount of made threes by a center as well. However, if we look at 1994 to 1997, they actually shortened the three-point line by about a foot and a half. So that might be a reason why Sam Perkins shot that many threes, and that's why it actually decreased as his career went on and in the later years of his career. And also just a, a good fact to know is that Brooke Lopez was also the first center to shoot 500 threes. So he kind of was changing the game for centers, as I mentioned earlier. Next, we're going to kind of switch what we're looking at here, and we're going to look at the different types of big men in today's game. So ESPN released a page about the eight archetypes of big men in the NBA, four offense and four defense. And for offense, it was floor stretchers, finishers, post scorers, and facilitators. And on defense, it was rim protectors, rebounders, post defenders, and mobile defenders. So pretty straightforward, but I'm just going to read off the description. They're kind of like comic-based, so they make it pretty interesting. So for floor stretchers on offense, it's described as, like the old gunfighters from the West, these deaf shooting big men draw defenders away from the paint with their ability to connect from long range. So I just said Brook Lopez for this. He, was, he opens up lanes for Middleton and Giannis, so... He's a really good example of a floor stretcher for them. Um, and then next is finishers. It's described as, just as a luchador finishes off his opponent with the trademark move, these guys finish plays around the basket at a high rate, usually off a pass from a teammate or an offensive rebound. My mind went straight to Steven Adams. Probably not today as much as he um, was in OKC, but I just thought about that baby hook in OKC, uh, with Westbrook, how he would always just constantly dump it off to Steven Adams, and he'd have that little small baby hook that he would score all the time, especially in the playoffs. Next one is post scores, so it's described as, Knights of old had a multitude of skills to dismantle opponents. Give these bigs the ball and watch them create their own offense on the block, utilizing an array of moves. So there's a lot of guys, especially older guys, that could fit this description as a post scorer. But my mind immediately went to Joel Embiid in today's game. He's got great footwork around the hoop, so obviously um, he can kind of destroy whatever defender he has on him with uh, his footwork and spin moves and drop steps and whatever it is. And then the last one on offense is a facilitator. So this is a relatively new one in my opinion. Um, it's described as need someone to deliver to their teammates. These clever passing big men operate from the high post particularly at the elbow, and coaches love running their offense through these skilled operators. Um, I'm going to say Nikola Jokic, and we're going to move on. All right. Uh, and then, I'd, so we're going to look at defense now. We got rim protectors, rebounders, post defenders, mobile defenders. So rim protector uh, is described as to serve and protect these long-arm paint dwellers control the area in front of the hoop. When they don't swat a shot, they alter it, making their help defense critical if a guard gets beat. Um, I thought of Rudy Gobert. Uh, he's there if Donovan Mitchell or Royce O'Neal gets beat, for example. So I immediately thought of Rudy Gobert. 
Then if we're looking at rebounders, um, it's described as cleanliness is next to godliness. And in the NBA, these guys are on the court because they do one thing. They finish a defensive stop by, quote-unquote, cleaning the glass. I went straight to Jonas Valanciunas with this one. Um, this dude is a top rebounder, but he doesn't have that same... He doesn't get the same amount of blocks. It doesn't have the same necessarily impact on defense as like a Rudy Gobert does. So I thought of Jonas Valanciunas. And then for post defender, it's described as the sworn enemy of post scorers. These strongmen earn their salaries by combining Herculean efforts with strength, footwork, and old-fashioned gear to shut down scoring threats on the on the block. Um, I went with a little different one here. I went with Bam Adebayo. Because he has a really, really great defensive defensive rating. So he's stopping guys in the paint. But um, he doesn't he doesn't block a lot of shots either. So that's why I went to Bam Adebayo for post defender. And then mobile defender, I kind of cheated a little bit. But um, it's described as these speedsters kept the, keep the pedal to the metal with unusual athleticism for their size. These defensive dynamos can chase stretch pigs on the perimeter and shut down the pick and roll with precise footwork. Um, I went to Giannis here. When I saw unusual athleticism for their size, that's immediately what I thought of. And, um, obviously, uh, defensive player of the year. So that's, that's immediately who I go to for mobile defender. He can guard so many different positions and so many different guys in the league. Um, now we're going to kind of zoom in on a certain aspect and we're going to look at the pick and roll leaders for big men. Um, I'm just going to name a couple and kind of describe the guards that are in or the ball handlers that are in the pick and roll with them and how it kind of works. So the top pick and roll points per game leader for big men was Nikola Vucevic. And for me, I don't think DeMar DeRozan is necessarily like the first pick and roll guard that would come to mind, but he scores the most from the mid range in the NBA and he probably shoots it at the highest level as well. And Billy Donovan, he's a former, a former college coach from Florida, so he's probably a little more traditional, so that's why they're running the pick and roll so much. And he has a history with running the pick and roll with the Thunder as well, so it kind of transferred over. Second highest is Joel Embiid with 5.8, so only .4 less pick and roll points per game. Like I mentioned earlier, he has great footwork around the basket, so he's going to be catching, spinning, drop-stepping, whatever it is. And then usually you've got Tyrese Maxey, or eventually in the season you have James Harden with him. And they kind of share that they can both score beyond the arc and around the rim, so if they're not dumping it off, they're going to be scoring too. They're, t they're very talented, and they can, they can kind of do whatever they want with the ball. And then for DeAndre, or DeAndre Ayton is third with 5.4 pick and roll points per game. And this is usually coming off, or coming off his screens are usually Chris Paul or Devin Booker. And this is kind of similar to DeMar DeRozan because they're both top five mid-range shot makers in the NBA as well. So they've got that threat if they're not dumping it off as well. And then finally, we're going to do a little bit more of a, it's going to be kind of more of an opinion-based question, but I think it'll be interesting for you guys to listen to. Um, we're going to look at a couple all-time great big men, and kind of, um, I'm kind of going to be predicting on how they would fit in today's NBA. So 
The first one I chose was Bill Russell, rest in peace. Um, he averaged 22.5 rebounds per game, 4.3 assists per game, 15.1 points per game, and he was an absolute minutes hog, like averaging over 40 minutes uh, constantly throughout his career. I think that Bill Russell could provide a team like the Nets, a center that could haul down rebounds and kind of work around KD and Kyrie if they are to stay there. Um, but if they all stay there and a Bill Russell came in, I think that his leadership could easily push them over the top. Uh, second, I'm going to look at Kareem. Obviously, most points scored of all time, 24.6 points per game throughout his entire career. And as well, he also had 2.6 blocks a game. So he had great defense as well. I don't think his points would drop off as much as other guys in his era because he was more finesse-based with his sky hook rather than bully ball-based, as some guys in that era might have been. However, um, I think he could provide scoring and defense for like a near contender like the Pelicans maybe. Um, if you think of a Zion and Kareem duo down low, that's, I think, a defensive a defense's worst nightmare considering that they also have Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum as well. So you've got a lot of scoring, and it's gonna it would be really scary for defenses if the Pelicans could get a guy like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The last guy that we're going to look at is Shaq. He averaged 23 points per game throughout his career as well as 10.9 rebounds and 2.3 blocks. And I think these stats would drop a little bit more compared to Kareem due to his physical play and his average of 3.4 fouls per game might get him in trouble in today's quote-unquote softer play down low. Um, I still think he could provide a body down low for like defense that would still, of course, be a force on offense as well. I have him as an option for many teams in the NBA, but I think he would have a huge impact on a team like the New York Knicks. Um, there's a couple of reasons for this. First of all, he's used to that big market. Uh, in Los Angeles, obviously, he's used to it and whatnot. Um, and I think he could fit in really well with a Brun like a Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, because they can all kind of operate well outside the paint and shoot the ball pretty well. And... Also, I think that Mitchell Robinson has yet to take that final step and that final leap towards stardom. So I think that if a guy like Shaq came in and Mitchell Robinson kind of has a similar play style, if he like shadowed him, he could really become a force in the NBA. If I had to predict a stat line for him, I'd go with like 19 points per game probably, so a slight drop, 8.8 rebounds, slight drop, and then um, 1.8 blocks per game. So... Everything's a slight drop, but I think he would still be a force down low, and he'd be pretty scary. And also, he, of course, he's going to shoot extremely well from the field. All right, so that's all I've got for you guys today. I'm so glad you guys tuned in. Um, this is the fourth episode of Hoops Logic, and I can't wait to share the fifth and final one with you guys. See you soon.